Welcome to The Meteor Podcast, a weekly news show about what's going on in the media community. This episode is for Friday, December 5th, 2014. Welcome, Meteor fans. I'm your host, Josh Owens, along with my special co-host, filling in for Rye Walker. Uh, Hi, I'm Chris Nelson. Welcome to the show, Chris. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so uh, Chris uh, works at Gaslight, a uh, former company of mine. Uh, they do development there, and Chris has been uh, flirting around with Meteor, uh, particularly in the capacity of Angular stuff, so uh, yep. he'd be a good co-host. You've also yep. been dabbling with some Elixir and DDP as well, right? Yeah, I've been having fun experimenting with uh, the DDP protocol and how we can mash that up with Elixir, and it's it's been fun. Nice. Let's see, did I turn on? Nope, I didn't turn on the Q&A app again. So if you have questions, feel free to, to tweet them at Meteor Podcast on, on Twitter, and uh, we may get to them at the end of the show. Um, so real quick, before we get into the show, you guys know our sponsors, uh, Modulus.io. They are a Cincinnati-based startup. Uh, they do node hosting. They also um, were one of the first pioneers to do Meteor hosting as well. Uh, came up with a platform or a package called Demeteorizer, which would uh, get a Meteor app ready to host on their platform. Uh, since then, they've done a whole bunch of work, and uh, you know they're they're great. If you want to host the Meteor app, that's the place to do it. Especially if you want support, uh, those guys are great. So Modulus.io. Check it out. And uh, there's a coupon code for a $25 credit Met podcast. So just put that in once you sign up. Uh, the other sponsor this month is Codeship, codeship.io slash Meteor Podcast. Um, you can go there and sign up for a continuous integration service that they offer. Uh, they integrate with all kinds of services like GitHub and Bitbucket. Uh, they also integrate with uh, Modulus and uh, Heroku and a bunch of other uh, deployment services. So I give them a check out. And now that we have Velocity, you could even throw a test in the middle of all that and get your app, automate your app deployment uh, based on your test suite. So uh, highly recommend checking them out. You get, um, I think it's five private repos and 100 builds a month for free. And if you use the Coupon code Meteor Podcast, you'll get 20% off any plan for three months. So, codeship.io. And also, I put on a Patreon page up. So, if anyone wants to support the podcast, support Meteor Club, support Crater, uh, go to patreon.com slash Meteor Club. I'm trying to get uh, some cash flowing in there. So, I don't have to worry about sponsors anymore, and uh, we'll be able to do even more content, like potentially another podcast. So, uh, if you guys go on there and sign up, you know I've got got some good rewards. Check it out: uh, Patreon.com/slash/MeteorPodcast or Meteor Club. Um, all right. So this week we're talking about IO.js, aka the Node fork, uh, the new Meteor roadmap. Um, mistakes Meteor devs make. I put Mark make. Uh, uh, someone scraped a bunch of Meteor sites. We'll talk about that, what they found out. And then uh, Meteor and Polymer. Um, so good stuff this week. So I'll dive in yeah. and talk about the uh, node fork here. 
In case you haven't heard, uh, this was news to my co-host too. Uh, Node was forked. Apparently, a lot of the core contributors that didn't work at Joint just got together and decided to fork Node. They felt like things were moving too slow. Um, and they felt like the progress coming out of Joint wasn't in the best interest of the community. And so they decided to get together and create a fork. And at this point, there's no difference between the two. Um, the new one's called io.js. Um, but my understanding is they're going to be upgrading um, the V8 version that they're building against shortly, and uh, they'll probably be working on um, a bunch of uh, new features. My understanding is Joint's been mostly focused on performance up to this point and um, less on new features. So this mm. could be interesting. I don't know. Like this, as a as a media development, I, I'm torn, right? Like I don't know that this greatly affects me, but at the same time, like somewhere down the pipe, it, it may. Um, I, I don't know. Like. So the question is like, what, how does the media team feel about this, right? Like, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, have there been any comments out of the media team on all this? Not that I've heard. Uh, I would love to. Uh, I'll, I'll email them later and and see if anyone will say anything. Honestly, I didn't see this till this morning. I noticed um, the Node Weekly email had like four or five stories related to this, and I hadn't even heard about it up until then. So. I don't know what that says about my Twitter feed. Maybe I'm following the wrong people. <laughs> I, yeah, I really hadn't heard too much about this until very recently as well. Um, I wonder like, what the distribution of the rest of the Node team that's not at Joint looks like as far as like big companies versus independent developers. You know, I've definitely heard things like Microsoft has been pretty interested in Node and getting it running on Windows. And yeah, I don't know, it just really makes me wonder what the motivations are behind the scenes in terms of like. Yeah, so this article maybe doesn't do the best job. This was the one that was on Crater. Um, it talks more about how mm -hmm. the people at Joint are kind of frustrated, and you know, they didn't they didn't want to see this happen. But there's a good one on Wired um, as well. That's told more from the, the point of view of IOJS. Maybe I'll put this in the show notes as well. Um, yeah. Go ahead. No, no, I just said, yeah, that would be cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, and they, they really talk a little more about, oh, okay, so here you go. A foundation would make uh, a certain amount of sense. Many companies, including NPM, NodeSource, and StrongLoop, depend on Node, and many members of the Iowa.js team work for those companies. So it sounds like a lot of the people that decided to go make this fork live outside of Joint, and it sounds like a lot of the big companies that live outside of Joint in the Node community, so. Interesting. Could be interesting. I mean, uh, I know like this isn't the first time we've said Strong Loop's name on this podcast either. They were involved in finding a node bug that deeply impacted uh, um, a bug in Meteor, and uh, it was found through through a problem in Meteor. So, um, you know, they they helped debug that and fix it. So, you know, if they're going to be on io.js. Maybe that means Meteor goes to io.js. 
Interesting times. Indeed. All right. So the new roadmap. You're up, Chris. Yeah, that looks really interesting. I really like the fact that they're doing it through a public Trello board that's out in the open. I really appreciate open source projects that are, you know, in the open with the things that they're working on and, uh, you know, the priorities that the team has. And there's some pretty interesting things on the future roadmap. Um, I, I have sort of been interested in the SQL support. I see that's on down the list. I'd love to have other backends than just Mongo. I mean, that's one of the reasons that I've sort of been researching. You know, the DDP protocol is fascinating to me in that it's like so simple. Mm-hmm. It seems like implementing other backends just by implementing the DDP protocol would certainly be doable. And I wonder, you know, if the um, Meteor community could really expand that way and what that might look like. Have yeah. you dug into DDP very much, Josh? I haven't dug too deep into it, but I do know. So my only um, kind of encounter with DDP on a lower level is through a package that I've been working on with Sam Hatorum, and it's called Rester. Uh, it's not really ready for prime time. It's part of Velocity right now. But um, the idea was that DDP, to me, almost represents your API as well. So you've got your publications and you've got your methods, and those are all handled over DDP. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, when you look at a publication, you're just it's like a, a REST endpoint for data. So um, Rester kind of mounts up those DDP endpoints and then turns them into REST endpoints as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I absolutely, like, I've heard Jeff talk about the fact that they see DDP as the gateway to get um, any number of technologies involved in the back end uh, yeah. and, and wired up to power the front end. So, I mean, I, I see no reason why you couldn't just choose to make a quick Rails app front it with the Ruby DDP client and, you know, you get the migrations, you get MySQL, you get all that stuff. And it's just the data is flowing over via DDP or same thing, like what you and James are working on with Elixir. So, yeah, it took us, I mean, the main stumbling block was I'm just learning Elixir, but it really only took a few minutes to, uh, you know, once we had our web socket client picked out to be able to connect to Meteor, send it to subscribe and start seeing collections flowing in yeah and it was really cool and i think it would be super simple to just hook that up to a database and say hey do i have this id already if not created or i don't know i don't think it would be hard yeah uh, i'm interested in how that goes but yeah other on, on the roadmap um some of the interesting things that i saw are um the uh where was it oh the server side rendering that was kind of interesting Yeah, I mean, people keep dancing around that one and trying to figure out how to do it without official support. So you've got Arnota came out with SSR, which allows you to do server-side rendering, um, but it's not all the way there yet. Um, But a number of people have figured out a way to get templating to work on the server. Um, Mm. There's just there's a few little bugs. And I think if they made some changes, like the community could probably do this on their own. But it is interesting. I mean, I guess we knew it was on their map, um, but I, I love that they updated this. The other interesting one to me is uh, the official Windows support. Uh, while I haven't used Windows in a long time, 
they've kind of got their uh, their crack team on it there with Slava and uh, Sashko. And um, my guess is like once the Windows support is done, we may see a lot more progress on the SQL support. Ooh, okay. Because I, I think the guys that are on the Windows support, um, you know, you've got Justin's probably still working on some SQL stuff, but once uh, Slava and Shashko are done, you know, I'm I'm envisioning they're probably going to roll in to do a more SQL stuff. Uh, whereas the rest of the team, I think, is heavily focused on Galaxy and, and fundraising. So, hmm. any idea for how this list is ordered? Because I'm seeing votes, but it's not corresponding to what the the priority order is, if it's even sorted. I think it's. I think it is priority sorted. I think we'll we'll see uh, official Windows support come out as the next big thing, and then we'll see Galaxy come out. And even though I mean Galaxy is not really going to be a, a release, right? Like it's throwing air quotes for the podcast people that are listening, but I, I just don't. I don't see like there may be a few things they released that maybe work better with Meteor for compiling it in Galaxy, but honestly, like. That's really just a lot of DevOps stuff that's happening. Um, and I do think, you know, they've got uh, David Greenspan. I don't know who BN is, Ben Newman. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Um, on uh, David Glasser and David Greenspan are both on the command line tool performance. And this was stuff that was uh, introduced with 09. And, you know, I, it's very frustrating. Like I was on a hangout with Sasha last night and uh, everyone's complaining that it takes 20 to 30 to 40 seconds to get your meteor app to restart. And that, I mean, that's what those guys are working on. So yeah, I definitely noticed some slowness. I don't think I've noticed it being that long, but I definitely noticed it was slower with one. Yeah. One was a little better. Um, I'm still on 094 with an app. And uh, it's really slow, so. Okay. But yeah, I I definitely think like it's kind of sorted in the order that they're working on it, or the priority that they want to see it released in. Um, but if you notice, like there's really no overlap in the uh, the people that are working on each card. So you mm. know, who knows? Maybe they'll get it all done at the same time. Yeah, I was looking more over the future column and trying to sort of understand what the sorting was there. If- I don't know if there is any. Yeah, it might not be, but yeah, because there's a lot of stuff interested, interesting things in there to me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, honestly, like a lot of this stuff, like you look at fancy animation support. Technically, it's there. It's just buried. Like they've got this underscore UI hooks that you can um, tap into, or Redis support. Like they've already started on the Redis support, um, but it's just not all the way done and or and or hidden. So. Yeah. Good good roadmap. Yeah. One right. of that I don't see so much on here that I would love to see from a selfish point of view is oh yeah, I guess it's over there, but it's important but not part of core. The ability to like be more flexible in terms of choosing from end frameworks to use. Mm, yeah. Not near and dear to my heart, but other meteor devs might not care at all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so apologize. I don't hopefully you can hear me okay. My mic was way far away from me, I just realized. All right. Uh next story is uh common mistakes that meteor devs make. Uh David Weldon put this out. He always puts out some good blog posts. 
Uh, and, you know, he answers a ton of questions on Stack Overflow. So I'm always curious to hear what what his thinking is about the problems people are hitting. Um, and this is a, a little known thing. I don't know if a lot of people know this, but your profile is always editable. It doesn't matter if you lock down the ability for someone to uh, necessarily update their user. Um, but, uh, you know, you you really want to go in and just, if you don't want someone to be able to update their profile, you need to go in and add a deny rule that says update, you know, is returns true so that they can't do any update to the user record at all. But um, by default, if you put an allow on a user and say like they can only edit their user, blah, blah, blah. Um, I, I No matter what you put in the allow, like a user is always able to update their profile unless you put in this deny rule. So um, that's why I always tell people like, don't put like admin flags in the profile because they can just go in and edit the entire profile sub document on their own. Oh uh, yeah. Is, is maybe weird. Um, Maybe people don't realize that. So it's a great tip. Um, he also said, uh, be careful. Don't publish stuff that you don't mean to publish. Uh, again, you know, I, I talked about this in the security post that I did. Like, don't overpublish your user records. Like, if you have a publication that's putting users out, um, you're potentially publishing everything about them. You're publishing their um OAuth tokens or their salted password hash. And whereas that might be a problem, um, you know, if you maybe have another point of exposure, that, that could actually become a really big problem. Like um, and the, the security posts that I talked about in particular, they were exposing um, all the stuff to make client-side OAuth calls, right? So you had like the provider's OAuth keys and then they were exposing the user's OAuth key, but then what they didn't realize they were exposing was any user that was on a meeting, their OAuth keys were getting exposed as well. So therefore I could go in and make, you oh. know, an OAuth call from my client for anyone that I invited to a meeting. So unintended security consequences. <laughs> and uh, all you have to do is just specify the fields that you want to be included or excluded and you're good to go. So. Another great tip. Um, variables is keys. That was interesting. You should read that. Um, subscriptions don't block. It's another great point. Uh, a lot of people may expect that when you just say subscribe, like the data is going to show up right away, but that's not the case. Um, you know, it'll it'll re-render as data shows up. So if you're making some calls that are kind of expecting the data to be there, you may start getting kind of funky um, errors, unless you're using something like Iron Router Wait, or you have some guard wrapped around some helper code or something like that. Um, yeah, and there's a couple other tips in here. I'd, I'd recommend reading it, but those were the the really big ones, I think, for me. Good stuff. Yeah. All right. So yeah. On. Uh scraping a bunch of meteor apps and uh and what this guy found out that's pretty interesting um the fact that uh by percentage the highest percentage was uh meteor 1.0 i thought was pretty cool i think that's a pretty good sign yeah um it seems like there's been a definite uptick in interest as it went 1.0 um 
it, it was really interesting as he went through and talked about how secure meteor apps are and the you know the, the percentage of apps that had insecure and auto publish still in their packages that really made me think of the apps that he scraped i wonder how many were actually people experimenting or actual production apps i didn't quite get the feel from the article yeah, I mean, that's that's hard to tell, right? So I would say um, the interesting point is that somewhere in here, he, he talks about how many were on Meteor.com versus elsewhere. Mm -hmm. And now I can't find yeah. it. But I would say, like, there's probably a high portion of Meteor.com hosted apps that are kind of the, the experimentation stuff. Yeah, he said half of them were subdomains of Meteor.com. Yeah. So, yeah, and I mean, this isn't fully inclusive. Um, you know, the interesting thing I see is if you lump 09 together and you kind of lump 09 and 10 together, you, you really get 50% basically of the Meteor community is on 09 up to 10, uh, which is, I think, is pretty amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So, and it definitely fragments. I think, uh, you know, a lot of these are just older experiment apps, probably like you were talking about, like no one's updating them because they serve their use yeah. and they're still just there responding to requests. So <laughs> good stuff. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I really, the other thing I found interesting too is um, because the packages have namespaces on the client side, we're able to detect uh, a lot of the packages people are using. So, yeah, huh. awesome cool. stuff. All right. Uh, so last up, uh, Rye yesterday put out a blog post. Today, today I think it was today actually. Um, hasn't even been put up on Crater, but I wanted to talk about it. Uh, it's titled Meteor Plus Polymer. So I know these guys have been working on uh, Polymer integration over at Differential for quite a bit. And um, Greg's out there this week with Rye. Um, mm -hmm. Rye gave a presentation yesterday. So if you watch the December dev shop, you'll be able to see some of this stuff. Okay. Um, but he just did kind of his, uh, you know, his mind dump style, like here's all my notes and thinking about it. And um, I know he's been working on it for a while with uh, user cycle and, um, They've got another project that they're working on that, that's been using Polymer. And then they have a third Cordova project that's using Polymer. So uh, they're definitely yeah. definitely playing with it. Yeah, I got a chance to talk to him a good bit at uh, Meteor Day when I was down there and actually see some of the stuff he was doing with Polymer and Meteor together. Yeah, It was pretty interesting. Um, I, I, I was really interested in it because I've been doing a lot of playing with Angular and Meteor together and Angular and Polymer have a, a fair amount in common in terms of the basic approach of uh, web components. Um, the difference is Polymer is definitely more future looking than Angular, one, the 1.x 1 series of Angular is. Um, but the, what the, I think the key th Oh, you're cutting out there. Um, are you yeah, there you now? go. You said the key thing, and then uh, you cut out. Okay. I was just saying that it looked like what 
what I saw Rai doing with Polymer wasn't so much focused on trying to use the bindings in Polymer together with Meteor, um, whereas the stuff in Angular, um, we're trying to actually bridge the bindings of Angular with the reactivity of Meteor. Mm -hmm. So you can kind of like have the data flow end to end. Um, so not that that's like, you know, good or bad, but it's just interesting in terms of the approach. I think Polymer, you could just sort of use Polymer components in your front end of, you know, of a Meteor app, but still be using the Meteor front-end stuff to actually do the reactivity. I think that's what, what he's up to. Yeah. But it's certainly interesting. I really dig the idea of being able to have more front-end variety. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, they approach it from the standpoint of like, Google Material Design is a better version of Bootstrap, right? So it's better thought out and it gives you better prompts to, to build nice looking sites. And I think it translates better into a mobile setting than Bootstrap does necessarily. So, which in this day and age of Cordova is an important thing. All right. Um, good stuff. I guess we got through it all. Yeah, sorry, my connection just restarted. <laughs> so oh. you didn't hear me. <laughs> oh, okay, nice. Um, so the end of the show, I just started a new thing. Um, since we've got the Patreon page, just gonna randomly pick people, uh, patrons, and uh, mention them for as part of the reward. Um, so uh, this this episode, I want to have a shout out to uh, Eric and Trent. Thank you guys for uh, joining the uh, Meteor Club, the uh, Patreon Meteor Club. Um, I think it's awesome and really appreciate that support and uh, look forward to hopefully a few more names next week. So uh, where can people find you, Chris, on the intertubes? Oh, they can find me at... Uh... Gaslight's website is uh, teamgaslight.com, and um, I'll probably be putting up a blog post probably on Tuesday on the stuff I've been doing. You froze again. <laughs> I don't know if you're hearing. Yeah, I was just going to say you were frozen as well. There you go. You were saying. I was just going to come our blog on Angular and been doing probably on Tuesday. Nice. Awesome. I look forward to that. And I look forward to hearing more about the DDP stuff too. So yeah, that's definitely still like in the early experiment. We have a repo for that. It's called Phile after the uh Phile lander. I realize it landed on a comet and not a meteor, but hey, you know. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Well it becomes a, a meteor if it crashes to Earth, right? <laughs> I thought that was like meteor versus meteorite. Anyway, that's oh, strong. Yeah. How does it work? Yeah. <laughs> we all suck at it. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks for coming on the show, man. And uh, we'll, be, we'll be back next week.